Welcome to episode number 30 of Calm History. This is another Quiz Quest episode featuring 30 new trivia questions about history. I'm Harris, and I created this time machine of tranquility to bring you the drama and excitement of history, but in a calm tone so you can just chill and relax. Now, here is how tonight's Quiz Quest episode works. I've created 30 new trivia questions from some of my prior bonus and archive episodes that were about the following topics. The Klondike Gold Rush, The History of Salt, The Titanic, Henry Ford, Kubla Khan, Jesse Owens, Easter Island, Gilligan's Island, Joan of Arc, Salt Mines, Nazi Loot, and A Prison Escape. If you have listened to these episodes, then consider this a quiz challenge to test your memory. If you've not listened to these episodes, then consider this a trivia challenge to test your knowledge. Either way, your challenge is to listen to this episode several times until you can get every question correct and earn the esteemed title, Victor of the Quest. Okay, enough silliness. All of the episodes in today's Quiz Quest are in the Bonus and Archives podcast. To access this special podcast, just become a Silk Plus member, which is free for a limited time, by using the link in the episode notes, or go to silkpodcasts.com. All right, time to begin today's quiz quest. I hope this episode distracts and relaxes your overactive brain squirrels. Quiz quest number five. The first questions are from archive episode number 21, titled The Klondike Gold Rush. What did Canada require each person to have before they could enter the Yukon and prospect for gold? What did Canada require each person to have before they could enter the Yukon and prospect for gold? Here are your options. One year's supply of food or a certified mining kit or a big and bushy beard. I know Hollywood wants you to think that it was a big and bushy beard, but the answer is one year's supply of food. Canada had heard about earlier gold rushes in which the prospectors, being a bit absent-minded, didn't really bring enough food with them, and starvation was an issue in those other gold rushes. So Canada 
was a little more proactive. Next question. When prospectors found gold in the Yukon, what percent were they supposed to give to the Canadian government? When prospectors found gold in the Yukon, what percent were they supposed to give to the Canadian government? Here are your options. About 5%, about 15%, or about 25%? The answer is about 15%. So this was a pretty smart move, and again, probably based on earlier gold rushes that occurred in other areas where governments didn't get a cut. Next question. What did the prospectors use sluice boxes for? What did the prospectors use sluice boxes for? Here are your options. To store and hide large nuggets by burying them in the ground. Or to create walls so other prospectors couldn't see what they were doing. Or to separate gold from the dirt they dug up. The answer is, prospectors used sluice boxes to separate gold from the dirt they dug up. Next question. During the Yukon Gold Rush, the population of Dawson City increased how many fold in two years? During the Yukon Gold Rush, the population of Dawson City increased how many fold in two years? Sixfold, sixtyfold, or six hundredfold? The answer is, the population of Dawson City increased 60-fold in two years. It went from 500 residents to about 30,000 residents. Next question. Contaminated water from Dawson City brought what problem? to lower lands where the indigenous Han people lived. Contaminated water from Dawson City brought what problems to lower lands where the indigenous Han people lived? Did the water bring rats, typhoid, or syphilis? The answer is, the contaminated water from Dawson City brought typhoid to the native Han people. Next question. What was the curious name of one of the richest men in Dawson City? What was the curious name of one of the richest men in Dawson City.
Was it Bill Gates, Howard Hughes, or Richie Rich? The answer is the curious name of one of the richest men in Dawson City was Bill Gates, better known as Swift Water Bill Gates, who was known to dress in silk and diamonds. Next question. What did Swift Water Bill Gates do one day to impress a woman that he fancied in Dawson City? What did Swift Water Bill Gates do one day to impress a woman he fancied in Dawson City? Did he buy a hotel and name it after her? Or paint a horse pink and ride it wearing only a fur coat? Or did he buy all the eggs in the city and feed them to the dogs? The answer is, to impress a woman, Swiftwater Bill Gates bought all the eggs in the city and fed them to dogs. Yeah, I don't really know how to explain that. I guess courtship was just different back then. Although I do think it had to do with food shortages, and that was his way of showing that he had so much money he could buy these expensive eggs that were in short supply, and he didn't need them, so he fed them to dogs. Yeah, I still don't get it. It's just weird. Next question. In 1898, what was the meaning of the expression, go to the Klondike? In 1898, what was the meaning of the expression, go to the Klondike? Did it mean, go find your dream? Did it mean, go find a husband? Or did it mean, go take a hike? The answer is, in 1898, the expression, go to the Klondike, was like telling someone to go take a hike. And that's because, in 1898, that was the end of the Klondike gold rush. The gold was mostly gone, and everyone was leaving. So telling someone to go to the Klondike was a negative expression. The next questions are from archive episode number 22, titled, A Titanic Survival Story, Part 5, Adrift in the Ice-Cold Sea. Why did some of the people in the lifeboats try to row away from the sinking Titanic as quickly as possible? Why did some of the people in the lifeboats try to row away from the sinking Titanic as quickly as possible? Was it to keep from being pulled underwater by the suction of the sinking ship? 
or was it to avoid a pod of whales that were breaching? Or was it to reach a nearby iceberg that would protect them from the cold wind? The answer is, some of the lifeboats rowed as quickly as possible because they were worried about being pulled underwater by the suction of the sinking ship. It was something that many of them had heard could happen, so they were worried about that. But as it turned out, most people reported that there really was no suction from the sinking ship. Next question. What did the survivors in the lifeboats accidentally think were the lights of a rescue ship? What did the survivors in the lifeboats accidentally think were the lights of a rescue ship? Was it the stars above? The northern lights? Or was it the lights of other lifeboats? The answer is all three. At different times, some lifeboats were tricked by the twinkle of stars, the northern lights, and sometimes the lights that were on some of the other lifeboats. Next question. What was the name of the ship that they thought would rescue them initially? What was the name of the ship that they thought would rescue them initially? Was it the Zenith? Was it Zeus? Or was it Olympia? The answer is, they thought that the ship called Olympia would be the one that was going to rescue them. This was because they had heard it was nearby, and curiously, it was the sister ship of the Titanic. But the Olympia was not the first rescue ship to arrive. The one that first arrived was the Carpathia. Next question. When some survivors in a lifeboat saw the rescue ship, what did they set on fire as a way to signal the rescue ship? When some survivors in a lifeboat saw the rescue ship, what did they set on fire as a way to send a signal to the rescue ship? Was it a bunch of letters or several of their coats? Or did they set the front section of their wooden lifeboat on fire? The answer is, to send a signal to the rescue ship, they set a bunch of letters on fire. Now, they actually did think of burning their coats first. But as they were about to do this, one of the passengers discovered that in their pocket, they had a bunch of letters. So, perhaps smartly, and I don't know what the letter said, they decided to burn the letters 
instead of their coats. The next questions are from archive episode number 23, titled, The History of Salt. What was Morton Salt promoting in their famous salt campaign that stated, when it rains, it pours? What was Morton Salt promoting in their famous salt campaign that stated, when it rains, it pours? Were they promoting a larger spout that allowed their salt to pour more easily? Or were they promoting a change to their salt that kept it from clumping on rainy days? Or were they promoting a 20% coupon that was only good on rainy days as a way to motivate buyers to shop on rainy days? The answer is, the Morton Salt Campaign, when it rains it pours, promoted a change to their salt that kept it from clumping on rainy days. Therefore, when it rains, it pours. Next question. Where does sea salt come from? Where does sea salt come from? Does it come from salty seas or salty lakes or salty rivers? The answer is sea salt comes from salty seas, salty lakes, and or salty rivers. All of them are correct. Basically, any salty water source. Next question. Why is Himalayan salt pink? Why is Himalayan salt pink? Is it due to the presence of iron oxide minerals? Or... Is it due to the presence of prehistoric shrimp molecules that died in the same location where the salt formed? Or is it due to a dye that is added by the companies as a marketing gimmick, sort of like pink lemonade? The answer is, the reason that Himalayan salt is pink is because it has iron oxide minerals. Next question. What percent of salt manufactured in the world is used in food? What percent of salt manufactured in the world is used in food? Is it 6%? 26%? 56%? The answer is, the percent of salt manufactured in the world that is used in food is only 6%. That probably shocks you. So let's go to the next question. 
What is the major use of salt worldwide? What is the major use of salt worldwide? Is it mostly used in water softening? Or is it mostly used for de-icing highways and walkways? Or is it mostly used in manufacturing? The answer is, the majority of salt is used in manufacturing. About 68% of the salt that is manufactured is used for the production of PVC, plastics, paper pulp, aluminum, soaps, synthetic rubber, pottery glaze, textile dyes, hide tanning, and much more. Next question. What word do we use today because ancient Romans put salt on their leafy vegetables? What word do we use today because ancient Romans put salt on their leafy vegetables? Is it the word lettuce, salad, or salary? The answer is the word we use today because ancient Romans put salt on their leafy vegetables is the word salad, which means salty. The first three letters give it away. And what about the word salary? Yes, the word salary also means salt. And it's because Roman soldiers receive salt in their military kits. But it's unclear if the salt was just a ration or if it was a payment. Next question. Why did a pope in 1299 A.D. order a nearby city to be salted? Why did a pope in 1299 A.D. order a nearby city to be salted? Was it because he was happy with them, so he gave every resident a small bag of salt? Or was he testing their loyalty by requesting a tax payment in the form of salt? Or was he unhappy with them, so he ordered salt to be added to their soil to inhibit their crops? The answer is, the Pope ordered the city to be salted because he was unhappy with them. And so what that meant was that he ordered salt to be added to their soil to inhibit their crops. The next questions are from archive episode number 24 titled, The Story of Henry Ford, Part 5. When Henry Ford test drove his first two-cylinder car, who was the first person he showed it to? When Henry Ford test drove his first two-cylinder car, 
who was the first person he showed it to? Did he show it to his buddy, Hot Dog Bob? Did he show it to his buddy, Coffee Jim? Or did he show it to his buddy, Pancake Pete? The answer is, Henry Ford first showed off his two-cylinder car to his buddy, Coffee Jim. Next question. How did Henry Ford decide to show off his first two-cylinder car to others as a way to attract investors? How did Henry Ford decide to show off his first two-cylinder car to others as a way to attract investors? Did he enter the car in a car race? Or did he put an ad in the local city newspaper? Or did he drive it up and down the city streets during midday while pulling a trailer of loud chickens? Now, if you think that last choice is something I made up, just to amuse myself, then you're correct. To attract investors, Henry Ford entered his car in a car race. Next question. At the car race, what person walked onto the track and received great cheers of excitement from the crowds? At the car race, what person walked onto the track and received great cheers of excitement from the crowds? Was it the President of the United States? Was it a local millionaire? Or was it a man who raced bicycles? The answer is, the person who received great cheers from the crowds was a man who raced bicycles. And that may surprise you, but remember, car racing was very new, so the most popular racers at that time were bicycle racers. Next question. Why did Henry Ford win the final race against the other top car? Why did Henry Ford win the final race against the other top car? Was it because the other car had a mechanical failure? Was it because Henry Ford took a shortcut through the middle of the track and argued that there wasn't a rule against it? Or was it because the driver of the other car was drunk and went around the track in the wrong direction? The answer is, Henry Ford won the final race simply because the other car had a mechanical failure. The next questions are from prior bonus episodes. In bonus episode number 17, titled, 
the Mongols in Kublai Khan. What was so curious about one of Kublai Khan's summer palaces? What was so curious about one of Kublai Khan's summer palaces? Was that it was constructed out of ivory, gold, and copper? Or was it that it contained a large pond with alligators in the middle of it? Or was it that it was made to be easily disassembled and reassembled so the emperor could put it wherever he wanted? The answer is, the curious thing about one of Kublai Khan's summer palaces was that it was made to be easily disassembled and reassembled so the emperor could put it wherever he wanted. You have your two-person tent. Kublai Khan had an entire portable palace. Wow. Next question. In bonus episode number 18, titled Jesse Owens, Track and Field Legend and Spoiler of Hitler's Plans, what was the real first name? of Jesse Owens. What was the real first name of Jesse Owens? Was it Jessica because his parents wanted a daughter? Or was it Jester? But Jesse hated this so much he told everyone to call him Jesse. Or was his real first name James Cleveland. The answer is the real first name of Jesse Owens was James Cleveland Owens. So why did everyone call him Jesse? Actually, in his youth, everyone called him J.C., short for his real name, James Cleveland. But at the start of school one year, a teacher asked him his name, and he said aloud, J.C. But the teacher heard Jesse, so she kept calling him Jesse, and he never corrected her. As a result, everyone in his school kept calling him Jesse, and so it stuck. Next question. In bonus episode number 19, titled Visit to Easter Island, a scientific expedition is packing supplies on their ship to head to Easter Island. They want to add a bundle of tobacco, but there isn't any more room on the ship. What item do they take off their ship? to make room for the tobacco. A scientific expedition is packing supplies on their ship to head to Easter Island. They want to add a bundle of tobacco, but there isn't any more room on the ship. What item did they take off their ship to make room 
for the tobacco? Was it a sick donkey? A bundle of spoiled fish? Or a toilet? The answer is, the item that they took off the ship because it was less important than a bundle of tobacco was a toilet. Next question. In bonus episode number 21, titled The TV Show, Gilligan's Island, I explain how three movies were also made with most of the castaways. In one of these movies, which sports figures arrive to the island to help rescue the castaways? In one of the movies about Gilligan's Island, which sports figures arrive to the island to help rescue the castaways? Is it the Dallas Cowboys? The Harlem Globetrotters? Or ten mascots from different Major League Baseball teams? The answer is the sports figures who arrived to the island to help rescue the castaways are the Harlem Globetrotters. Next question. In bonus episode number 23, titled The Great Prison Tunnel Escape, Part 4, the person who oversees all the Confederate prisons hears how a bunch of men escaped from one of them. After inspecting the prison, he comes to which conclusion? The person who oversees all the Confederate prisons hears how a bunch of men escaped from one of those prisons. After inspecting the prison, he comes to which conclusion? Was it that the prison is too secure for anyone to escape, so the escapees must have bribed the guards? Or did he guess correctly that the prisoners didn't escape, that they were just hiding under their beds? Or did he conclude that the prisoners weren't missing at all? It was just that the dum-dum guards counted wrong. The answer is, he concluded that the prison was just way too secure for anyone to escape, so the escapees must have bribed the guards. So, was he correct? No. Just recall the title of the story, The Great Prison Tunnel Escape. Mr. Dum-Dum just couldn't find the tunnel. Next question. In bonus episode number 25, titled, Salt Mines and Nazi Loot, Why Did the Nazis Hide Stolen Art in Salt Mines? Why did the Nazis hide stolen art in salt mines? 
Was it because the salt mines were dry and protected the art from humidity and weather? Or was it because the salt mines were spacious and allowed for the storage of thousands of pieces of art? Or was it because the salt mines were deep and protected the art from the bombs of the Allies? The answer is, Nazis hid stolen art in salt mines for all of these reasons. Basically, salt mines are just an ideal place to hide stolen art. And now, for the final question. In bonus episode number 26, titled, Joan of Arc and Conspiracy Theories, which curious event occurred after Joan of Arc was executed? Which curious event occurred after Joan of Arc was executed? Did France pass a law that no one else could be named Joan of Arc as a way to preserve her legacy? Or did Joan's parents proclaim that Joan was actually a man? Or did Joan of Arc reappear in public and say, Hey, why is everyone so sad? I'm not dead. The answer is, the curious event that occurred after Joan of Arc was executed is that she reappeared in public and said, Hey, why is everyone so sad? I'm not dead. Yeah. She may not have said those words exactly, but that was basically what she said. To hear the full details, just check out the episode. It's a pretty weird moment in history. This is the end of the quiz quest. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Calm History. If you'd like to become a Silk Plus member, and get free access for a limited time to all the episodes mentioned in today's Quiz Quest, all the prior Quiz Quests, and 500 other episodes, then just use the link in the episode notes or go to silkpodcasts.com. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Calm History is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to enjoy more podcasts like The Constant, Underworld, and Subtext.